Almighty and all God's people said, Amen and amen. Open up your Bibles with me. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Somebody say, Sacrifice of Praise. Amen. Hopefully we will get there, Lord willing, today, verse by verse through Hebrews, and we're at chapter 13, verse 9. I want to review some of these uh, passages that we've been through before, just so it can tie in with where we're going today. It says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to you to do so. Now, how many remember last week I talked about eating a giraffe and elephants and really got to the point that you can eat whatever you want as long as it's not a human and you bless the Lord for it. So we're not falling for the tricks of religion to think eating a food changes our lives and makes us more spiritual on the inside. It can change us on the outside, but not on the inside. And one of the biggest attacks today is from the vegan vegetarian community, which you can be vegan and vegetarian for your own reason, but not attack Christians to make them out to be not as spiritual as you. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Now the next verse, verse 10, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. We talked about Herod's temple at that time. I've showed you some cool pictures, the model that was made by a gentleman. It took him 30 years to do that. And so remember, this is giving us a timeline, a time frame. So Hebrews must be written during the time of the temple, and it was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So we know Hebrews is close to the time of Jesus and the apostles. And what it says is, we have an altar to come and eat. But notice, it's not the food that they're eating. Their sacrifices were eaten by the priests. The priests and the Levites could eat what which was given as a sacrifice. Some was given to God, others were given to the priests to eat, and then others were burned outside, uh, portions were burned outside the city, which we'll get to in a moment. And the altar that we come to is not just communion. Roman Catholics have taken it as that. Oh, look at our altar, look at our communion, that's what you're eating. No. But Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Can I hear an amen? So the word of God, the logos of God becomes our bread and his blood via the Holy Spirit becomes our wine. Communion represents that, but communion is not literally that. Otherwise, every Roman Catholic, especially the priests, would know the word of God if the word of God was the communion they were eating. Amen? And as we know, most of them do not know the word of God. They're not living by the word of God. They're simply just eating wafers and wine on Sunday, drinking wine on Sundays. And so we need to pray for them. But for those of us here, we need to see our great privilege. What privilege do we have that the Jews serving in the temple of that day don't have? That's we're partakers of Jesus. Jesus is our heavenly manna. Now verse 11 talks about how he became the bread of heaven for us. He's also the high priest and the sacrifice. Notice this. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. 
And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own what? Somebody say blood. Thank you. His own blood. Now notice during Halloween time, a lot of people in witchcraft and the demonic things will be emphasizing blood, but that blood doesn't save them. Only the blood of Jesus can save you, okay? So he's the high priest who offers up his own blood. Now look at verse 13. Let us then go to him outside of the camp bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Somebody say, a city that is to come. Thank you. Now, if you remember last week, there is two meanings to this. There is the first meaning that is being presented by the author. That is, there was a sacrifice that was presented to God. Jesus is now that sacrifice, but he's also the high priest presenting himself to God. That's the first understanding of it. The second understanding of it is if we do not come to Jesus outside of the city and receive that sacrifice, when New Jerusalem comes, the actual enduring city will be cast out of the city and burned. Does everybody remember that? A half of you. Okay, so let's go through it again quickly in review. Everybody follow along. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Let's just start at the end of the book and then work our way backwards. So I want everyone to see Revelation 22, 14. When the new Jerusalem comes to earth, outside of that city is hell. So when, let me just give you an understanding of the end times, okay? So Israel is at war right now with the Palestinians, particularly Hamas, Islamic terrorists, okay, we know whose side we're on. Everybody say Israel's. It doesn't mean that we agree with everything they do, but we stand with Israel, and people say give back the land. No, Muslim, you don't get to take land and ask for it back, okay? It belongs to Jesus, and if you want to give back lands, why don't you give back Egypt? That belongs to Christians. Give back Iraq. That belongs to Christians and a whole lot of other nations. Can I hear an amen for that? So I don't feel sorry for the terrorists, but I do feel sorry for the citizens of Palestine because they're under Islam, which is to them, that's one thing. And then they're under a political system, Hamas, that has lied to them as well. So they're being deceived. Now, once again, this doesn't mean everything the Israelis do is right, but we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says this will be going on for quite some time until the end begins. Now, when the end begins, the Antichrist, the one world leader, will sign a peace treaty with the Middle East folks so that Israel can belong to the Jewish people and that Jerusalem can have a temple. Everybody say a temple. Thank you. So that's what we're waiting for. Now you have to understand, and I heard this just not too long ago, that a preacher said in 1920, a Christian said this to his people. Two things must happen for the end times to begin. Number one, Israel must be a nation and have occupancy of Jerusalem. Now imagine that, 1920, didn't exist and hadn't existed for a thousand plus years. Since that time, 70 AD, okay? So think about that. They said that's the first thing that needs to happen. And then another thing that needs to happen is that everybody has to be able to see the same thing at once. Because the Bible says in Revelation that two witnesses in Israel are killed and the whole world sees them and rejoices. And so this pastor reduced down the two things that a generation would have to look for. You would have to see Israel in the land having Jerusalem, and then you would have to see a technology or a way for everybody to see the same thing at the same time. 
Guess what generation you're living in, boys and girls? You're living in a time where this could pop off at any minute. Okay, so when we look to the end times, what we're waiting for as Christians is a rapture. We're believing that God will rapture us out of here and then start the seven years of tribulation, which then will result in Israel having a temple, making a treaty with the Antichrist, but then after the temple is built, the Antichrist will violate his treaty and sacrifice to himself as God in that temple, and then the Jewish people will then become a hundred. 144,000 preaching remnant as God is sending down his bowls of wrath upon the Antichrist and the armies. And then the battle ends, uh, the last battle is the battle of Armageddon. As the battle of Armageddon ends, we come down, those who are raptured with the saints of old on white horses, as we learned about in the first service, trample on the enemy and rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. After that thousand years, let me just say this as well, during that thousand years, we see the open abyss where Satan, his demon, the Antichrist, the false prophet are being tortured along with those from those battles uh, in those times of uh, the tribulation. But after the thousand years, we watch that portion of the abyss with hell, which is a different portion of, of torment. We see those two uh, places get cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. God then recreates the heavens and the earth, which we would consider the uh, universe and our earth. And then new Jerusalem comes out of heaven permanently to dwell with us forever and ever and ever. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so I just want you to get that. That's how we look at it. So think about it very simply. There's a rapture, there's a time of judgment, then there's a time of ruling and reigning with Christ, and then after that, being with Christ in New Jerusalem forever and ever. And a lot of times people ask, why does that thousand-year reign exist? Why don't we just go from judgment to the new heavens and the new earth? God wants heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. That last thousand years, God shows us what it was always meant to be. And during that time, people will be living and dying, but we will be their rulers, as the Bible says, their gods. Not the ones they worship, not equal to God, but we will be called gods because gods means rulers according to the Bible. We will be their judges. We will be those that they look up to like they look up to Thor in the Marvel comic books. And I've been talking about that in first service, so I just want to make sure you guys understand. Now notice this. When you hear the Bible speaking about a city, you're listening or you're learning about the new Jerusalem. Everybody say, New Jerusalem. Amen. And that's what Metro Praise is named after. Metro means city. We are not named after Chicago. We're named after this city. So blessed are those who have their robes washed that they may have the right to the tree of life. That comes back to be with us, which was once in the Garden of Eden, and may go through the gates into the what? Into the what? The city, you are a part of that city if you're born again. Your name is written there in the citizenship. Outside are the what? The dogs, those who practice magical arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So everybody get this. There is a city, and then there's a place outside of the city. That place outside of the city is where hell is at. And if you just go up a little bit to Revelation chapter 21, you can just hold your place uh, there. You don't have to type it in, but just go up to 21, verses 1 and onward. Revelation chapter 21 and onward, starting with verse 1, you'll see, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new what? 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his God and God himself will be with them, uh, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Everybody say passed away. Amen. And since we're here, just scroll up even just a little bit, kind of working our way backwards, as I said. Go to Revelation chapter 19, or Revelation chapter 20, rather. Revelation chapter 20 says that we will have a thousand-year reign with Christ. Revelation 20 and verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound it for how many years? A thousand years. Now go all the way down to verse 4. I saw thrones. Now notice, it's not just singular throne. This is what I've been talking about in first service, that we'll rule and reign with Christ. He said, I saw what? Thrones. I saw thrones on which were seated those who have been given authority to judge. See, we will judge the nations for a thousand years during that time. And just keep going. It says, and I saw the souls uh, of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Christ or about Jesus because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image or had received the mark on their foreheads. And And the beast is the Antichrist. They came to life and reigned with Christ. How long? A thousand years. Now notice this. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. So those who had died previously and then are in hell, they're going to be remaining in hell, which is probably under the abyss or under that place that we see Satan in. So if you look at hell having multiple layers, we'll be able to see the top layer opened up during this thousand-year reign where Satan has been tied up along with those from the Battle of Armageddon. So you'll see roughly a few hundred million people with the devil in a place of torment for a thousand years. How many think that's going to be kind of neat? Hey, let's go check that out, kids. You know, walk over here. There he is. I mean, here's the way I think about it right now. Everything you think is normal is normal because it's normal. Just get that in your mind. I know it sounds silly, but you think it's normal because it's normal. When I describe to you that you can go over here to the ocean, that's normal. That's normal to go to Florida or go to California because you've seen an ocean. But if you've lived in a desert and you never saw an ocean, how many know that wouldn't be normal? Okay, right now you live in a place where there's jails. How many have ever visited somebody in jail? That's normal, right? But how many know one day you're going to be able to see the devil in jail? That's because that's normal. It's going to be, there he is. This is all coming to a conclusion, and God is not going to be uh, hiding from us as he has been because of sin. When judgment comes, God has revealed himself, and you're not going to walk by faith in, anymore. You're going to be walking by the sight of the reality. He's God. I'm not. They tried to get away with some stuff. They're getting punished for it. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So that's what it's going to be like. But notice this. We're not just sitting around just all chilling, naked baby angels as you know, I tease. No, you're ruling and reigning with Christ. So that means those who didn't die in the battle of Armageddon, those who didn't die from the tribulation, and let's just say a third of the earth has gone at that time. So let's, let's just think of it like this. There's about 7 billion people right now, okay? So let's say 
a third of those are Christians and in time revival. So let's say at least 2 billion people go to heaven. That's 5 billion people remaining for the time of the Antichrist. Now the Bible says about a third of the population is going to be taken out of that time. So if you have 5 and you take a third away from that, let's just make it an even 2, you still have 3 billion people left on earth. That's who you and I are going to be ruling over. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, look at it right now. Look at all the billions of people that we have, and what do you need? You need governors. You need senators. You need judges. You need aldermen. How many know there's an alderman over this neighborhood? That's going to be the people of Christ, okay? So that's who those people are. That's what they're going to be doing. Those who did not know Jesus, they're going to be in hell. You will not see that portion of hell. So they don't get to come to life. They will at the resurrection, when it says this is the first resurrection, the second resurrection is for the damned to go to hell forever. So notice this. Everybody gets a resurrection and an eternal body who's ever been a human. Angels don't get that. They still are going to suffer in hell, but not with an eternal body like how humans are. So they will get flesh, but it will be for torment. This is the first resurrection. Blessed are those who share in the first resurrection. Everybody say first resurrection. Amen. That's for the Christians to come alive, rule and reign with Christ. Those in hell will remain there until after the thousand years, and then they'll get a body, and then they'll be sentenced to hell, and it's called the second death. Everybody say the second death. Amen. The second death has no power over them. That's over those who are going to hell. They are in hell and are going to the lake of fire. That's the second death, but we don't have to worry about that. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with them for how long? A thousand years. Now, going back to Hebrews, please. Remember what it says here. Jesus goes outside of the city to be crucified in Cal- on Calvary's hill. That's outside of Jerusalem. I have the reference there for you in John 19, 17. Golgotha or Calvary, talking about the same place. So he goes outside to die. If we do not go outside to meet him, we will be cast outside in hell. Does everybody get that? But if we go outside to meet him, those who were destined for hell get to come inside and rule and reign with him. So he came out so that you can come in. You were out, now you come in. Amen? And that's what I was sharing last week, so let's read it again and make sure everybody gets this. There's two meanings to this. The number one meaning is that Jesus is our sacrifice, replacing the bulls that that went through this. Literal animals in the history of Israel went through this. Some were killed. I mean, they were killed, and some of it was put on an altar to burn. Other was eaten. And then the entrails, the head, the parts that they didn't like, they put outside of the city and burned. Jesus went through this when he was put on the cross. He goes out and suffers shame. That's the first meaning of this. The second meaning is if we now, as people who hear about this, if we don't go out to meet Jesus, we get cast out with the devil and his angels. But if we go out to meet Jesus, we get brought in to rule and reign. One more time, can I hear an amen? Amen. That's the truth of this passage. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering but the bodies are burned outside of the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Quickly, let me show you now a few scriptures about Jesus and the work that he did while he was in the grave. 
grave because many of us don't understand these passages, but I hope to tie them together. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. When Jesus was in the grave, he went there on our behalf. He didn't suffer literally in hell because he defeated hell, but he went to this place on our behalf. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So as we learned before, everybody get this, he went out so that I could go in. He went down so that I could go up. Y'all get it? Come on. This is exciting. He goes out of the city to die so that those of us who were sentenced to hell on the outside could come in. He went down in the grave so that those of us who were meant to perish in the grave in hell could now come up as he ascended in resurrection and resurrected. As Jesus died and resurrected, so will we die and resurrect to be with him. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 gives more detail to his descent into the grave. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the what? In the body, thank you, but made alive in the what? Spirit. So when people ask us, how could God die? If Jesus is God the Son, and God the Son died for our sins, how can God die and still be God? Isn't God immortal? God is everlasting? Absolutely. But what did he die in? His spirit or his body? His body. Even us who have been created with a spirit in a body at a time, from this point forward, when our body dies, our spirit doesn't die. Amen? Amen. So when people say that, they don't even think through what we actually believe. We believe even now, as all humans have body and spirit, when our body dies, our spirit goes on. So in other words, simply losing your body doesn't mean you stop existing. That's what they think it means by death in the biblical narrative. But that's not what death means, you stop existing. You can see this from the very beginning in Genesis when he said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge and good of uh, and good and evil you shall surely what die when they ate of it did they stop existing no there was now a separation of their spirit between them and god even ephesians chapter 2 talks about this please put that up in a separate tab you who were dead in your transgressions and sins you who were dead in your transgressions and sins does not mean you are a walking zombie how many know there's sinners out there that are dead in their transgressions and sins are they physically dead? No, so our Bible does not equate death as not existing. It first means a separation spiritually. But then what else does death mean? Because we believe a body actually dies. We don't just call that spiritual death. We believe that Adam and Eve, because they spiritually died, they also physically died. And when God said, in that day you shall surely die, do you know in Hebrews, uh, in the actual language of Hebrew, what it means you shall surely die? It means when you are dead, you will die. Now, if there wasn't a spiritual component to that, it would make no sense. But when you die spiritually, you will die. 
See, do you get that? You shall surely die. When you die, you will then die. Or when you're dead, you will then die. And it seemed to be a confusion matter, confusing matter to people until Jesus explained it to them. There's a spiritual death that happens first in Adam and Eve. And because they're separated from God, now their body dies. Two deaths, amen? And at the resurrection, how many are there? There's two resurrections. One for the saint to live forever with Christ and the other to be forever in hell. Now, Going back to our passage of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, notice this. When Jesus is in the grave, not dead in the sense of not existing, but separated from his body, his spirit continues on. Well, what does he do in that alive state? Because sometimes people thought when you died, it was just over. You stopped existing. Even the Sadducees believed that. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. You guys get it, okay? Because there was actually Jewish people that didn't even believe in the resurrection. They just believed you have one life, you live and die, and that's it. Try to make the world a better place. So what Peter is explaining here is how it works, starting with Jesus, and he uses this time of him in the grave. Start again in verse 18 with me. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So now he's in the spiritual realm. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the what? In prison spirits. So where in prison spirits were, in a place called Sheol, the grave, hell also, he goes there. And to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So he goes to them and he makes proclamation. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were, were saved through water. And this water now symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the what? The resurrection of Jesus. So did he stay in the grave? Did he stay hanging out with all those sinners? No, he ascends up, he resurrects, and then he goes into heaven. Now notice this, and just put it back up there for me, please. Ephesians 4.9, I should have let you know to keep it there. Ephesians 4.9 says that when he does this ascending and descending, he also leads captivity captive. Listen to that phrase. Go up just a little bit now. Go up to, say, verse 7. There we go, perfect. Have you ever heard this phrase before, that he led captivity captive? Maybe not. Put it in the King James. Ephesians 4, 7, in the King James. This has confused some people, and I want you to understand what's actually going on here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Now notice this, verse 8 actually. Wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led what? He led captivity What? Captive. Now go back to the NIV. I just want you to hear that phrase. Nobody had heard it here before, so not many King James only folks. But uh, my wife will tell you as I, learned, as I uh, recite Scripture so many times, I do it back in the King James. So I wanted to explain that to those who have heard it. But notice what it says here. It says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. He took many what? Captives. And the King James says he captured or he took captivity of captives. Do you know who those people are? 
Those are the good ones that were in the grave waiting to go into heaven. In other words, Moses could not go into heaven until the actual blood of the lamb was on the actual ark in heaven. If you remember in Hebrews, the Bible says when God met with Moses and told him to make the ark and to told him to make the, the altar of incense and all of those things, he said, do it by the pattern you see in heaven. The altar that the Israelites had had two angels on it. Anybody remember that? The Ark of the Covenant? Those angels were a representation of the actual angels of the altar in heaven. So Moses could not go into the holy place of heaven, my brother, until real blood went into heaven. So Jesus had to cleanse the heavenly realms, the Bible literally said, because of the filth of the devil to bring us back in and to pay for the sacrifice of our sins. So what Ephesians is teaching us is that he took the captives, and that's the Old Testament saints who weren't allowed to leave what was known as Abraham's bosom or paradise. Jesus said to the thief, today you shall be with me in paradise. He didn't say heaven. He said paradise. Paradise was the opposite of what was hell in the grave. It wasn't heaven. So he was saying, I'll see you there. But he wasn't going to leave him there. Actually, the thief on the cross was probably the one that had the least amount of time there because Jesus took captivity captive and gave gifts to people and ascended into heaven with them. When Jesus came into heaven with them, he says, these are those you have given me. And the Father says to him, today I have begotten you. Today you have become my son. It is not at his incarnation that he is crowned as a son in the kingship of David. It is as his ascension when he leads into heaven his blood with the captives, with the saints, and then earns the right to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I hear an amen? He was always God's son. Understand that in eternity past. But he was appointed and anointed as God's son as he ascends after his resurrection. Can I hear an amen? You have to see that. Now, let's go back to Hebrews, please. When we look at Hebrews, in review, everybody say in review. Amen. This was every, This is for everybody to add a little bit more meat on the bone. When he is doing all of this, he is doing it so that we can join with him. So as the Old Testament saints were not forgotten and brought out of paradise, which the way I like to look at it, it was like a vacation. It was like a place that they would want to be, to be brought into the presence of God. But remember, when he did all of that, he did that at the same time of judging the devil and whooping the devil, okay? Where they're in torment, the other ones were in waiting, and so he brings them out, he leads them into heaven, and now that's where they've been ever since. And when the rapture happens, we'll be there as well. Uh, but remember, we're waiting for the thousand-year reign of Christ. So we're not going up to heaven to eat iguelas, empanadas. We're not going up there to cook spaghetti with our Italian grandma. You know, we're not going up there to go fishing and wakeboarding. We're going to heaven to wait to come back and conquer with Jesus. When we come and conquer with Jesus, we rule and reign. But remember, the devil's still in that pit. Remember where we left him in the story? Go to Revelation 21. He's left in that pit, but the story doesn't stop there. You want to see one of the most shocking things of our Bible? Notice this in Revelation, or rather Revelation chapter 20, not 21. It's 20 where he's, he's tied up and put into that, uh, uh, put in chains and put in the abyss. But notice this in verse 7. When the what years? When the how many years? Thank you. When the thousand years are over, 
Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations. Satan gets one more chance to deceive people. Now, sometimes people ask, why would the devil ever, I mean, why would God ever allow the devil to do this? It's the same reason why he allowed him to do it the first time. It's the same reason why he allowed him to do it with Job. Even Jesus was tempted. And it's the same reason right here. God does not want anybody to serve him that doesn't want to serve him. Angels in heaven were given a choice to betray God. The first creation of man was given a choice to betray God. All of those from the Tower of Babel, and you learn about the Nephilim and angels having sex with humans, those people were given a choice to get to know God or reject him. And then you look at, you know, all the temptations from that point on. Now notice this. In the thousand-year reign, it's literally been heaven on earth. Satan's been tied up. So whatever wrong people do is on their own. They have never faced a temptation greater than their own imagination, which, by the way, I think abortion, I think homosexuality, I think gangs, I think all of these wicked things come from the evil in high places. Notice this. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's in a new tab there. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but against what? Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of what? evil in the heavenly realms. So I believe it has taken demons that have a supernatural understanding of the world to tempt us to do things that wouldn't come into our imagination. I think man can be sinful all on their own, but I think the transgenderism, I think the, uh, the AI and the implementing of, of technology with humans, I think the thoughts that we think now of perversion, I think abortion, killing your own children, they have, these have been birthed from demons who see beyond the temporary and are trying to implement plans of evil that will devastate generations and really corrupt the minds of humans. Now, going back to Revelation 27... The devil's released, he's allowed to come out, and then what will happen? Verse 9, he will mount up an army against God just like he did with a third of the angels before. And the third of the angels was struck with lightning cast to the earth. So this is going to be a battle that lasts about you know, two seconds. But they will go out to march. This is not the battle of Armageddon. This is the battle after we've reigned a thousand years. They will go out and march with the devil across the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and what? Devoured them. Somebody say devoured them. Look at verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the where? The lake of fire. Now notice that. That's not the abyss. That's not hell. That's the lake of fire. Abyss and hell are certain sections of that same place. This is an entirely different place. They're thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. Then you go to verse 11. I saw a great, great white throne, he who on it, sat on it. And uh, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place from, for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Now, this is not the book of life, because if your name's not in the book of life, you're going to go through every day of your life, books, plural, how sinful your wicked self really was. How many would rather have your name written down the book of life than have Jesus judge you by every day of your life? So books are open. Books are open. Notice this. Before the throne and another book, singular, which is the book of what? The book of life. You want your name there. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the what? 
The books. You see, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. But the wages of sin is what? Death. So those who go to hell are going to have it told on them all throughout those books. But my name is written in one book, the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. How about your name? The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death in Hades, that's hell there, gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Now watch this, verse 14. Then death itself and Hades, or hell, were thrown into where? The lake of fire. And the lake of fire is what? The second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. How many learned something today? Amen. Going back to our Hebrews passage, it is very important to understand this. Jesus goes out of the city of Jerusalem so that we can come in to the new Jerusalem. He descends into the grave so that we can ascend into heaven and to rule and reign with Christ. Now on to our sermon for today. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get ready. Amen. I got about another half hour by God's grace. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to verse 15, please. Through Jesus, therefore, let us offer continually to God a sacrifice of what? Praise. That's the message today. A sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly confess his name. His name is what? Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. We're, we are learned here today, we are taught rather, and we learn about two sacrifices that God wants for us. The first sacrifice is a sacrifice of what? Come on, it's a sacrifice of what? Praise. Highlight it for him, brother. Help him out today. We learn about two sacrifices. The first one God wants is a sacrifice of what? Praise. Now notice what you just learned about. Highlight city right there. Highlight city. There you go. Now go down and then highlight praise. Does anybody know a good church that has the word city and praise in it? Metro praise. Amen. I love finding the name of God for our church in there. This is the name he gave us. The first sacrifice. Notice this. Everybody get this. This is so important. That's why we're named Metro Praise, okay? The first sacrifice we give them is not our good works. The first sacrifice you and I give God is not our Bible reading. It's not our going to Bible study. It's not all the good that we do, all the moral actions that we, we take. The first thing that we do as God's people, the sacrifice we now make in the temple of the Holy Spirit, where he dwells, is a praise, is a hallelujah, is a thank you, Jesus, is you are good God. Hallelujah. I can't get bored of praising my God. Now, you just put that in perspective. You'll never be the same again. Can I serve God with a hallelujah? Absolutely. And from my hallelujah, everything will come. I'll stop slapping my neighbor. I'll stop looking at bad stuff. I'll stop stealing the tithe from him, right? But it all starts when I can just give him my hallelujah, when I give him my praise, when I give him my gratitude in my attitude, hallelujah. When I have that attitude of gratitude, I see what God wants me to be. My mindset changes. My life changes when the praises go up because I see the blessings come down. And you and I today, we're called to be people of praise. You and I are called to be people that say, gracias, Señor. We're called to say thank you. Think about this, brothers and sisters. This is profound. Don't let this pass you by. Think about how many people breathe in God's air today but never say thank you. 
Think about how many people eating good meals, never saying thank you. Think about how many people are using their brain and their creativity that God has given them, but they're never saying thank you. God is looking across this earth for the aroma of the sacrifice of praise. He is looking for a people that will stop and say thank you. At that meal, everybody's bustling around. Mama's made it good. Everyone's so happy to be there. He's waiting for the family to stop and say, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for this food. He's looking for that commuter tomorrow on their way to work. When everybody's stuck in traffic, women still trying to do their makeup, driving with their knees as I've seen them do on the highway. Crazy. Keep us safe, Lord. He's looking for somebody on that commute, whether it's in the bus, on the, uh, the train, in their car, to say, thank you, Jesus, for an opportunity to work and to serve you. He's waiting for husbands and wives, moms and dads, to get around during family time and to say, thank you, Jesus, for my wife, for my spouse, for my husband. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this life that you have blessed me with. And yet today, people are being stingy with their praise. The Bible says, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. I am reminded in my times of selfishness how greedy and spoiled I can be as a king's kid. Anybody else here been a spoiled king's kid before? There are some days when I wake up, and there's no milk in the refrigerator. I have the audacity to complain. <laughs> Hello, come on, somebody. Let me tell you even how more particular I complained the other day. I found out I'm lactose intolerant at my old age. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And I'm allergic to stupid stuff I never was allergic to. I don't know what's happening to me as I get older. Pray for me, okay? And so I'm making my shake in the ninja bullet. And I've got my ice and my protein powder and my bananas, but no almond milk. I had to use 1%. I know. Feel sorry for me and anybody around me because I wasn't going to waste it and I wasn't just going to put water in. And I complained to my wife. Did I not bootster boot? I said, why don't we have any almond milk? How dare you forget the almond milk? you got to take care of me. Kids got their milk, chocolate milk. You got your cookies and cream, coffee milk, whatever flavored vanilla latte milk you have in there. Now it's like pumpkin spice milk for her coffee, but no almond milk for me. Sad, sad day. I'm serious. I caught myself complaining. I have caught myself complaining over things that anybody else in the world would be grateful to have. Seriously. I've caught myself complaining over my shoes, over my clothes, over a haircut. The other day, my haircut place was closed, so I had to drive out of my way to get a haircut at another place. Can you believe it? They closed so early on me. And then you think about your life, and you think about these things you complain about, because I know I'm not alone. Can I hear an amen from somebody being honest in church today? Come on, parents, nudge your kids and say he's talking about you now. We wonder why we're so anxious. We wonder why we're so stressed out. We haven't followed the plan of a healthy mind. The mind is going to be drawn towards the praise of God or the problems of this world. 
And if you start focusing on the problems of this world, you'll be like the girl that I saw on Instagram who got a Porsche from her husband, but it was a 2018 and not a 23, and she said, take it back. Oh, yeah, we know that one needs help. But how much more so us? We complain instead of give God the praise. I look at my life, and I have seen that the secret of success through all of my tests and trials has been my attitude of praise. When I went through bankruptcy, when I went through COVID or betrayal of friends in this church, when I went through the multiple trials of getting my doctorate degree in cemetery, I mean seminary, I look back on those times and I now can see that I did the worst when I complained, but I did the best and made it through when I praised. So how easy we are to forget. We need to remember that now for the next trial that comes upon us. Even when we go to visit people who have heart attacks. I went to visit one of my friends a couple weeks ago, and I had to give God praise. Not for the heart attack, but for the opportunity to preach to a man still alive. And he loves Jesus, but I got to share God's word. I got to pray for him, preach the gospel. I praise God for that opportunity. I praise God for the opportunities to bring light in the midst of darkness. I don't have to be chosen to be a pastor. God didn't have to ask me to have six kids, but he did. So it's not that I have to do all these works. I get to do all of these works. And if I keep an attitude of gratitude, the working will become easier on my soul. In other words, if I learn how to whistle while I work and praise God while I work, then I can have the power that Jesus gives me. But if out of my words, instead of speaking life, I speak death, I'll make those situations harder. I remember seeing Peter Geraci. Anybody know who Peter Geraci is? He's the guy you see when you go bankrupt. I had to see him because I went bankrupt as a pastor. Not that I wasted our money, but during the recession, I've been pastoring for a while, y'all. I pastored through a recession. Our people lost their jobs, and I wasn't going to make them give more. And so I came to our landlord, and I said, I can't pay anymore. He said, well, you signed a five-year lease. I said, I'm sorry. I'll just, I'll just end the lease now. He said, no, if you do, we're going to sue you. I hope that he did it, but I left, and he still sued me. He sued me. He sued, he sued the church. And I look back on those times, and I look back at going into Peter Geraci's office and them looking at me like, why are you here, and what does Metro Praise owe $500,000 to these people for? And I said, that's the rest of our lease. They said, man, did you try to tell them that we're going through a recession, that your people lost their jobs? I mean, I had people going bankrupt, left and right, people closing their companies, all of these things, people losing jobs. I said, yeah, and, they, and they're showing me no mercy. And they said, well, okay, we'll still fill out the paperwork. I even remember going to the city to have it finalized, and they looked at it again. And they said, what in the world is this? They said, we're sorry that you have to go through this. And I said, well, God's got my back. I know he'll make a way for me. But you know what? It was some mistakes I made. I didn't have to sign that big of a lease. I was excited to try a new building out. But you know what? I realized that when I praised God on my way there, I praised God on my way home, I stopped feeling so much like a loser. Are you guys listening to me? And when I got together with my family and I said, we're going to be thankful for the food that we have, the cars that we have, I stopped feeling like I had let them down and I started looking towards the future of what we could have. And of course, lo and behold, I got double for my trouble. Only thing that hasn't increased yet is our building. Everything else, the people have increased, the budget has increased, the size of the ministry increased, but we're still in this storefront. Amen. So I'm waiting for the next thing to increase, this building. 
but I feel God is testing my patience to see if I'll keep praising him in this storefront till he gives us the 10,000 square foot arena. Amen? I'll keep praising him here. And he's just going back, checking with the angels. It's been about 10 years. Is he still praising me? Okay, tell him I'm going to get to him. Tell him I'm going to get to him. Seriously, all my friends have got buildings, all, you know, all these churches. I bless them in Jesus' name. I'm not jealous. I'm just, I'm being honest with you. I'm not a hater. I'm a celebrator. Amen. And I look back at that time and I say it was praise that got me through. And I look at what I'm going through now. I'm just going to praise God. Maybe one more example would encourage you today because so often we look back and we see the lesson, but looking forward, we don't see it. There are people here today that are waiting for children. Maybe that it's hard for them to conceive or they've lost a child. We've seen that as well in this church. But do you know what? This is not the first time that's ever happened. We have a family in this church that couldn't conceive, and when they finally did, they had a preemie, and we went to the hospital, prayed over that child, Hezekiah, and the child still passed away. I'm talking about the Ramones, Jessica and Salvador. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But you know what? They kept praising God. God is good. God is good. This is bad, but God is good. And they put their hope and trust in Jesus, and they did what the good Lord intended married folks to do, and now they have three wonderful children. Amen? It doesn't mean that there wasn't a trial. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a test. It's just a testimony came through the test when they learned how to praise God. And so some of you may be going through that very same thing right now. I've lost a child. I've had a miscarriage or I've been believing God for children. Well, what you do is you praise God for what you do have. Amen. And you praise God in the midst of your trials and your storms. And what maybe just one last one. Somebody say preach it. So often we only want to praise God when we see the miracle happen. We only want to celebrate when we see the baby now come, right? But that's not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to praise God in the midnight hour like Paul and Silas praised God in the jail cell until the Lord sent an angel and broke him out. So in other words, you praise God until, until when? Until the breakthrough comes. And then now you got something else to praise for, the thing that God broke you out from, Amen. And so I think about many people who have prayed for me or have prayed for others, and in their own lifetime, they didn't get to see what they knew God would do. My grandmother only really knew me as a sinner, but in her last years, she was praying for me, and she got to see me start to become a pastor. But how many know she's praising God in heaven, looking at a pastor now for over 20 years? Amen. I'm sure the angels have brought to her a praise report and said, hey, Iguela, Grandma, those prayers were not in vain. That knucklehead grandson you were praying for that was stealing the three-wheeler when you weren't looking and was doing crazy stuff on that farm with them animals, now he's preaching and souls are being saved. So even if you don't see it happen here, you praise God up there because he'll keep his word down here. So often we just say, well, if I don't see it and now my way right away, I'm not going to give him praise and we become stingy. But then, my friends, think about this. Not only do you not have the miracle, but you don't have the peace of mind. You see, when you become like that spoiled child with God and go, mm -mm, I'm not praising you now because I don't see it now, guess what you lose out on? The possibility of seeing the miracle and the peace of mind in the moment. I would rather people look at me crazy because I got a crazy praise in the midst of my trials than to miss out on what God has for me. If the very least, and I say this to people all the time, you don't see the 100,000, you saw somebody clapping for the 100,000 every single week with the church, Amen. Man, Pastor Joe never saw it. But what we did see with Pastor Joe was people clapping and believing it all the time. And I don't think I wasted my praise. Do you think you ever waste your praise? 
Like, do you think there's ever a time that God says, man, look at this fool praising me. They should just give up. I don't really answer prayer. They should just become realists and just look at what it is as what it is and give up on me. You think God talks like that? Of course he does it. As a matter of fact, I think when you look to the story of Job, you're looking at how far God will take it to show the angels, including demons and devils, how much his people love him. I know sometimes we say to ourselves, man, I don't want to be Job. I don't want to be that. But you know what? God gets the glory even when we're in positions we don't want to be in. You may not want to be in that position you're in right now. I didn't want to go see Peter Geraci. I didn't want to, if you would ask me when I started the church, stay in a storefront. I mean, of course, we don't want those kinds of things. We all have billion-dollar dreams for the lottery. Okay, let's be honest. We all see ourselves doing a whole lot more than what we're doing now. And even you talk to people who have achieved a lot. They're still believing for more. Okay, that's great. But do you praise God in the meantime? Do you praise God in the valley? Do you praise God when things haven't gone your way? That's when you truly understand his name. Go to Hosea chapter 14, verse 2. You see, you don't understand God unless you can understand him when he's all you have. Some people said it like this. You don't realize God is all you got until he's all you have. But I want to say it the way I said it first again so you can get this. Many of us do not realize who God is until we're in the position where we're forced to learn that he's everything. We just don't see him in the ways we're supposed to see him until things are removed from us. In other words, when I first got saved, I was like so enamored at what God was doing in my life, I thought having a wife would come quickly. I didn't realize that I would have to wait 10 years. But when I look back on those 10 years, I don't look at them as lonely times. I don't look at those as times where I was sexually frustrated. I look at those times as the times I was the closest to God on a daily basis than I ever was before. Why? Because I didn't have a girlfriend to worry about. I didn't have a wife and kids to worry about. Every day I got up, I could pray as long as I wanted to. Now I pray about as long as I can take it. <laughs> because all of a sudden, the screams downstairs, the noises, and Nancy has it much harder than me, even though sometimes I try to swap with her because I'll be in the bedroom and she'll go downstairs. And I'll say, you stay up here, do your devotions, and I'll do mine downstairs. But I think she likes as mama lion to have all the lions on her, you know, little baby cubs. But I'm serious. I, I will try to pray as much as I can until I hear all of a sudden the knocks at the door. Dad, when are we going to play this? When are we going to do this? And I know oftentimes Nancy says, leave your father alone. He's praying. But, you know, there's always one or two that sneak in, that sneak by. There's always one or two. You know, and it's always the cutest ones because they're the youngest ones that don't quite get the rules yet. I'll be in my office, you know, after my devotional time, and I'll just be kind of unwinding from it, getting ready to start the day, trying to focus on my scriptures. And then all of a sudden, I won't hear a loud knock. I'll hear just a little, a little tap at the door. And it's probably Titus just coming to check in on me to see what's going on. And normally he's coming to tell on somebody, but that's okay. But it's not the same. It's not the same. And then so sometimes I say, well, I'm going to go on a prayer walk. I'll go on a prayer walk, and I'll stick around by my house, and then every now and then I'll pass by my house, and then Zoe will see me out through the window. Dad! And she'll shout out from the window. Okay, I see you caught me. But see, those are precious moments. But there was a time I didn't have that. Seriously, I would wake up in the morning. Nobody cared about me in that way. You know, I mean, people liked me. I had friends, but nobody checking in on me. It was just me and Jesus. I could take the whole weekend, do whatever I wanted. You see, the Lord had a plan for 10 years. He wanted me to fall in love with him. But I never would have seen that until I was with him for 10 years. 
And so some of us may be in situations like that right now. You know, you may be having to learn about God in ways you may not want to learn about him. You know, I'm learning to trust him to build a church without a building. That's kind of weird in our culture, isn't it? I have friends that when they start churches, they start with buildings. We've never even owned a building. Come on, somebody say, help us, Jesus. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to me. Sometimes I see these churches with buildings and they're closing down, becoming mosques and all these things. And here we are outgrowing them and doing all these wonderful things. And we don't have a building. But you know what I've learned about God in, in all these years of not having a building? Is that people go to where they get fed. And sometimes the best restaurants don't have the nicest buildings. Can I hear an amen? I remember the first time I came to Chicago and I said, take me to one of your nicest restaurants. And they took me to uh, Bodinkins. And I was like, what is this place? Are we safe? That's serious. That's real talk. I was like, are we safe? And they're like, kind of, but just stick with us. And so these Puerto Ricans took me to Barinkins, and, then, and I'm like, what are we going to eat here? And they say, we're going to eat an Ibarito. And I said, what is that? You know, I couldn't even pronounce it. Fried plantain, bread-like sandwich with meat in the middle. Oh, I didn't get any of it. I had mofongo for the first time. I'm being honest with you. That was my first real experience with Chicago culture. And I was from New Orleans. And I remember meeting these wonderful sisters, brothers and sisters, and I remember thinking to myself, I like this. This is what I like. And then I'll tell you one thing that surprised me. We were chilling out in Humble Park, and all of a sudden I heard, bling, 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 bling. And I go, what's that? And they go, that's the Enlote Man. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know an Enlote Man. I want to meet him. I'm being serious, man. They took me out the crib because I just was talking to him, and I was hearing this bling, bling, bling. Bring, bring, because we were right by the sidewalk where the crib was at. And I'm like, I'm hearing that. They're like, that's the Enlote man. I'm like, I want to meet that dude. I went out there, had the Enlote. I, I think it's the chicharrones in the bag. Shake it up with the hot sauce, pouring everything. I'm like, what is this? This is like heaven. Like we don't have, I mean, I understood a little bit of Barinkins because we have that gnarlins, you know, with the mama coming out with the hair net. That's where you want to get your catfish and all that. But I ain't never had a guy come down my street bringing me some of the fire, you know, bringing the food. But everybody understand this. I had to go through Humble Park to get it. You go talk to people right now in Elgin about it, they don't get it. But you had to be in Humble Park to get it. There are some things worth the trial and the test. Can I hear an amen? There are some things that you will get in the trial and test you'll never get anywhere else. As the old saying goes, on a mountaintop, nothing grows. It's, it's nice up there. It's a great place to stay up for a little bit, but you got nothing growing up there. You want fruit? You want vegetation, you got to go down into the valley. You want to see growth happen, you got to go into the place where there's some animals. Now, that scare you a little bit. As long as we're in this world and we're in this life, our praise is going to come at a sacrifice. In other words, your praise will not come easy. And if it did, it wouldn't be called a sacrifice. So some of you are like, well, I don't feel like praising. You're at the perfect opportunity to give God a sacrifice then. Well, I, I don't feel like I have anything to talk about. You're right at the perfect spot because that's when it's a sacrifice. Anybody can give God a praise on payday. That's not really a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when you've got to praise him on the first of the month and you realize that your bills are bigger than your budget. And then you've got to step back and start doing things differently. Hello. Look at what it says in Hosea, chapter 14, verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and, and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our what? Of our lips. 
The reason why many in the world today do not want to praise him is because they don't want to start with the first praise, which is thank you for forgiving me. You can't say to God, thank you for forgiveness when you're proud of your sin. That's why when we talk to the homosexual and they get all caught up in it, I'm like, listen, I'm not even here to tell you that this is a bigger sin than the other sins. It's just like any other sin. The difference is, is you're proud of it. It would be like adultery pride day. It would be like murderer's pride day. Like, we're not proud of our sin because they go, don't you sin? I go, yes, but I'm not proud of it. I'm receiving it. I'm saying back to God, forgive me of my sins. How many have said that to Jesus before? Forgive me of my sins. Well, then once you know you're forgiven, you can then give God the sacrifice of praise. That's why, and let's just keep it real, people come to this church and you don't understand why Des and others in the sanctuary or even on the stage are praising God. It's because you're just a spectator. You haven't yet received the forgiveness of sins. When you receive forgiveness of sins like the rest of us in here, you'll be shouting like us. You'll be dancing like us. You'll have the same fruit of praise because you know what God did with you. Going back to our notes in Hebrews, the first thing we offer is the sacrifice of praise. And we profess the name of Jesus. Never get tired with saying his name. No matter what language you prefer saying his name in, it means Yahweh saves. Jesus in Greek. Jesus in Spanish. Yahshua in Hebrew. These are wonderful ways of saying Yahweh saves. And then what is the other sacrifice we learn about? And don't forget to do good and share with others for such sacrifices. God is what? He's pleased. Uh, Daryl, would you come please? I want you to think about this. Can you really be a sharer and a generous person if you don't yet have a relationship with God? You really can't. And I know sometimes we think of things like, well, Oprah's done it, and she doesn't really know Jesus. Or, you know, look at Bill Gates. He does all these things, but he doesn't know Jesus. And we get a little bit confused here. Understand this. The greatest good you can share with somebody is the gospel. And if the gospel is not the filter you're doing your good from, your good deeds become your idol. Hello? Are you all listening to me? Think about it. If I was to talk to Oprah Winfrey right now, do you think I could convince her that she's a bad person? Absolutely not. Of course not. I'm a good person. Don't you see all the good that I do? I haven't talked to Oprah Winfrey, though as much as I talk about her in church, I hope to meet her one day. So you're the pastor talking about me all the time. Yep, that's me. Love you. Been praying for it. But watch, she's always my great example of the human condition. Because when I say somebody that's outwardly wicked, we all know that one needs Jesus. Oh, help them. They need Jesus. Those criminals, they need Jesus. But when I say Oprah, you know who I think of? I think of my mom and her friends hanging out in the suburbs listening to Oprah all the time. That was a big deal back then. A lot of them were stay-at-home moms, living in nice neighborhoods. It was like Oprah's type A audience, okay? That's who I think of. I think of my mom's best friend, Pat, whose husband was a lawyer, you know? I like Oprah. Oh, did you see who Oprah had on? Okay, so track with me. Do you think I could convince Oprah or Pat or any of my mom's friends in the neighborhood that didn't know Jesus that they're a bad person? Of course not. I'm good. Look at all the good things that I do. I share with others. I help others. I go to community events. I give to charities. But good has to be defined by God. If it's not from God, it's not good in the long run. In other words, whatever we have done without God that has a temporary benefit will not be counted good in the eyes of God. 
And what happens is we become idols of our own good works. Oh, look at me. I helped this person. I did this person. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. And we don't realize that the I is not the one that should be exalted here. It's God. And that's why if Oprah or Pat or any of my friends, or my mom's friends or anyone else out there that's a good person, doesn't see God at the center of what they do, they're really doing it for themselves. Think about it, selfishness. Because they want to be seen as a good person. They're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it for their reputation. Well, everybody's going to remember the Rockefellers. They were a generous people. Everybody's going to remember the Gates family. Everybody, because I did this and I did that. No, the Bible says the only name that we'll forever be praising is the name of Jesus. That's why when I teach in Bible college to pastors and how they do charity, the world sometimes looks at it as a bait and switch that we go and do charity and then we tag Jesus on it like, hey, you guys want a water bottle? Here's a water bottle. And it says, Jesus, take it, you know. No, I say to them, let everybody know as loud and clear as possible. We do this for Jesus. We're coming out here to do feed the needy for Jesus. We're coming out here to do orphanage for Jesus. That's why you got to give it to the Catholics. Every one of their names is a saint of somebody. Hello. Like they're letting you know, we do this for Jesus. Our schools, we do it for Jesus. We need to come back to that in our lives because if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm a good person because I give and I give and I give. Hold on. Do you do it in the name of Jesus? No, because I don't really want to offend them. Well, then you're not doing the good according to the Bible. You're doing it out of your own selfishness so that people will just think you're a nice person or that you'll ease your conscience because you know you're blessed, you have a lot of good things, you want to share, that's good, but you're only doing it for yourself. Put the name of Jesus on what you do this week for somebody else. That's why if you've ever been out with me and we've had a meal, I said, thank the church. The church is blessing us today. Or when I'm out with our kids and we're using the monies that we have from our own salary, I say you need to thank Jesus because Jesus has provided for us. My job is not my provider. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. Your job may be a funnel that God uses, but it's not the source. The source is God. And so all the good you and I do, it's unto God. But then now watch, it's also a sacrifice. If you only give, everybody get this, that which you don't want, you're not really giving out of sacrifice. I love how one preacher said, everybody's willing to give away their old shoes until somebody wants their new shoes. Do you know that I've been tested in this a few different times? People have complimented me on different things that I've been wearing, and I felt in my heart from the Lord to give it to them. No, I'm, I'm not just going to tell you where I bought it. I'm going to give it to you right now. Here, you can have it. I'm not saying you do that with everybody, otherwise you'll be walking around naked. But seriously, when was the last time somebody said, I like that, and you go, you know what, I want to give that to you. Let me just find something else to put on. I'm going to put this right in your hands next week. I'm giving this to you. Why? Because most of the time, and we got our bag right now in our garage. We're giving away. We should. Most of the time, I think garage sales are just a way for selfish people to do selfish things. It's like, give that toaster away, dude. You'll be all right, okay? Seriously, man. And I, and I always find like some kind of a joy when people are doing garage sales and nobody's buying it. I'm like, yes. You're going to sit out there for 10 hours with your little lame stuff by yourself because you should be giving that to single moms, to families, and just ask God to bless you back in return. 
Think about how much junk we have that we have to put it in storage facilities now. Those storage facilities are making money because we can't fit all of that junk in our house. That's just my heart. If you still want to sell things at garage sales, that's up to you. But watch this. When was the last time you looked at something that was nice and said, I'm giving it away? One time I came home to visit my dad from Bible college, and I, you know, got up around the crack of noon, you know, and I said, Dad, where's the car? Where's the caddy? My dad always liked to drive a nice car. He was a businessman, and he always liked to have either a Lincoln or a Cadillac. And so I said, Dad, where's the caddy? He said, oh, I let so-and-so borrow it from the church. I said, you did what? I was a young pastor at that time, and I still was, like, blown away. I was like, you did what? Oh, yeah, the brother from the church said he couldn't get a ride to Indianapolis, had to do a job interview. I said, come borrow the car. I said, man, you must love this brother. Now, come on, let's be real. When was the last time you handed the keys over to somebody? Say, oh, go ahead and use my car. Now, I'm not talking about being irresponsible, and God forbid if something happens when you lend out things, so do it responsibly. But that just came in my heart right there, like, whoa. I grew up, everybody get this, I grew up, where when I turned 16, I had a car, and from that point on, my parents gave me cars all the way until we got married. They gave me a station wagon. I think the last car they gave me was the 300 Chrysler M. Like, I always had been given cars, so I think the last car I got was what? When we lived at, at Shawford. So that's pro- I was probably in my 30s. So my parents for 15 years gave me cars. How many know my parents were blessed? And they did it in the name of Jesus. I came home, look at the stinginess of me, and saw my dad lending out a Cadillac, and I felt bothered by that. Like, man, why are you doing that? Man, Dad, you should probably be smart. Buy him a bus ticket to Indianapolis. You see, because it's not a sacrifice until it costs you something. See, what I want to see Michael Jordan do, you know, he loves our community so much. He loves Chicago so much, even though he don't stay here no more, and his $10 mansion's been, been vacant for years. Give that to a homeless shelter. I want to see one of them give away their Lamborghini. That's why I love Mr. Beast. And Mr. Beast comes from a Christian background, but he'll lose all of his good works unless he puts Jesus' name back on his YouTube page. It used to be on his YouTube page. But now he's a homosexual affirming sinner, and he needs to repent. Amen? But I want you to think about that. Oh, man, we're coming to the neighborhood. Here I am, LeBron James, and I'm giving out cars today. Here's some Toyota Camrys. And that's great. I'm thankful for that. Dude, give out your car. See, it changes, doesn't it? Hey, man, here's my bags of clothes. Here's all the things I don't want. Take it with you to the Philippines. What about the ones you have on right now? Well, I'll wait a little bit before I give that to the Philippines. I'm not saying that we give everything away like that. I'm just asking you, don't forget to do good like that. There are times in my life where I've been convicted not to give away the secondhand stuff, but to give away the good stuff. And every time I check my heart because... This comes up quite often, and the Lord tests me. I always hear the Lord say to me, who gave it to you to begin with? You know, when God blesses us, it's to be a blessing. And so we can take credit in the sense we worked with the Lord, we were obedient, but we better be careful when we hold on to those things so tightly that we now start to say we're the source of it. That's why on the, on the, the Bible says on the judgment day in the book of James that rich people who were not generous the way the Lord was asking them to be generous, a part of their torture in hell will be that money that they had. It will be like a cancer in their soul. They'll sense a pain for eternity because of their greed and not meeting a need. Somebody say with these sacrifices, God is pleased. Last example, when God came in the form, or when God brought us a redemption, 
Did he send an angel in the form of a man or did he come in the form of a man? When God sent to us our salvation, the greatest gift of heaven, did he send to us his second best or did he send to us his best? Amen. That's what I believe God is asking us for. And we're not taking up another offering, but I just want to be honest with you. That's why I believe in the tithe. Because every time I give my 10%, it's a sacrifice to God because I know it's going to help others. Think about it. Oh, man, I just got paid. Okay, well, man, I'm excited because I get to give this much to God. Every time I've ever increased in finances or have received large gifts or even inheritances, the excitement comes from knowing I give more. Anybody else? Come on, I know I'm not the only cheerful giver here. We're a blessed church. I remember one time when my grandfather passed away, my mom got an inheritance and she kicked it down to me as a part of the inheritance. I didn't think to myself, oh, I used to give 10% off 1,000, but I don't know if I give it off a of 10,000, man. I don't know if we do it like that. Seriously, man, I've had even people come to this church. They don't do it anymore. But I used to have people come to the church and be like, well, how do I tithe off of 20000 How do I tithe? Like they were trying to show up. Like everybody else ties, Jack. Just come tithe. You don't have to let me know. Just come tithe. I don't care. Seriously, I'm looking forward to one day just receiving a million-dollar tithe for the church because people got blessed with $10 million, and they're not going to have to tell me about it. They're just going to be like, man, praise God. I, I tithe off a dollar, tithe off a ten, tithe off a hundred, tithe off a thousand, tithe off a ten thousand, and I started a business, and it got to be a hundred thousand, tithe off of that, and then the business got to be a million, and I tithe off of that, and it got to be ten million, and I tithe off of that, praise God. And you know what it does in their heart? It breaks off greed, and it helps them see the need that they're meeting. That's why a lot of times, and I don't mean this to put them down at all, but I'm just being real. When they talk about all these great things these superstars do and these movie stars do, I always just think in my mind, I wonder if you even gave a tithe of your stuff away. Because every person in my church that loves Jesus gives away at least a tithe. So we're all applauding for The Rock. We're all applauding for this one. Like, you did so much. I'm glad they called him out over the Hawaii damage, you know. So it's like, you did so much. But I just want to, did you give a tithe away of your income? You guys are worth $100 million. Did you ever give away $10 million? Because people in my church every week give away a tithe, and I think they need it more than you need it. But that's how we teach our hearts, number one, that we're here for God. And then number two, it's a sacrifice. How many have given your tithe before, and you're like, eh, this hurts a little bit. It's a sacrifice. And I'm not here to put condemnation on you when it's tough and you can't or you need help. And we're here to help, and that's not our role to be your judge in that. But we teach it as the Lord's commands here. But listen, I've been there with you. Going through bankruptcy, I was given tithes off what I had. That's stupid, right? I mean, according to the world, that's dumb. I was paying off bills. I literally, I paid off another because we had a place in Wicker Park. And we were claiming bankruptcy, and my lawyer was just like, shut down your operation over there and just start over again and just tell that guy the same thing. And you know what? I, I, I thought about it, and I said, well, let me just ask him, you know, because it was during the recession. I said, maybe he can, maybe he can. I don't know. Let me ask him. And I said, bro, let me ask a question. If I just came out of this lease right now, remember this. We never owed a person a dollar. It was just the lease of the extension. Every month we paid, and we still pay, okay? Every credit card always was paid. And, and that's another discussion. But I want you to listen. I said to him, I said, man, can you let me out? Because it would be good if I brought everybody back to one campus. It didn't work in that other campus or in this Wicker Park campus. And he said that same nonsense to me. Man, I need this money, blah, blah, blah. I'll sue you if you don't. And in my heart, I said, you know what? I couldn't keep the lease with these guys, but I'll do my best to keep the lease here. 
and I kept the lease. You think the guy appreciated it? He never said thank you, nothing. But my lawyer told me, my Christian lawyer said, you can break all contracts and just start over again. I called up American Express because my dad got me a credit card when I went to Bible college. Never missed a payment. Amex, baby. You know that's the real credit card. Come on. Very few players be having that one, especially the black. So I was in American Express from a young kid. I remember calling up American Express going, can I pay this off? Because I literally just went shopping before this lawsuit came out. And they said, no, it's illegal now for you to try to clear off one debt or another. They all have to be closed. My wife will tell you, one of the biggest regrets of my entire life was buying some things on that credit card before the lawsuit went through because I didn't know that. But how many know people scam the system? You know you're going bankrupt, going to go put everything on the credit card, and then whoops, whoops, you know. It's not like they're always going to demand it back, right? But I, I'm just telling you because in my conscience, I couldn't do it. But I was still getting paid from the church. I was getting paid working as a professor. And you know what? I was tithing. You know why? Because those folks could take a building and they could take me to court, but they couldn't take my integrity. God comes first. And I hear Cynthia amen to me right here. And she remembers when we came back here to this facility, we had given it to my friend to use, and he was paying the rent, and then he came, we came back, he remodeled it. It's amazing. He's the one that did it all like this. It definitely didn't look like this when we were here at first. We were not this creative with this idea because it's a pretty nice storefront, right? Like, when store, like talking about storefronts, it's a pretty nice one, right? Amen. We're blessed. But I remember coming back, and I said to the landlord, Lassero, pray for him whenever you think about it because he's been good to us here. I said to him, I said, man, I don't know how far deep this recession is going to go with our people. And this is what he said. He said, you be honest with me, and I know God's going to make a way for you. He's a Jehovah Witness, but he's like, I think it will be okay. Man, that landlord took a step of faith on me. And you know how much of an honor it's been over these years paying that rent? Because he knew that I would keep my word. I would come to him. I wouldn't lie to him. Come on, somebody say integrity. But, you know, during that whole entire time, do you know that we always gave to missions? Do you know that we always gave to hurting people in the families, took care of the bills, never owed anybody anything? And some of you, let's just be honest, me telling on my business right here is exposing you. Because some of you, you make excuses why you can't tithe, why you can't be generous, why you can't serve in the church. And I'm telling you that the best way out is to do what Jesus said. Start finding those you can help and serve. One of the first things we did when we came back to this building, if you guys remember, is I said, let's put our monies together and come up with a truck, Chicago for Jesus, so that we can go out there and do more in the community. Y'all remember that? Some people would be thinking, no, 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 take what you have, Joe, put more in the bank, save more. No, no, I felt like I was so happy to come back here and the bills were paid. I had to give an offering that was a sacrifice. And so to this day, brothers and sisters, God as my witness, pastors call me up and stop me all the time with the gospel truck. Churches way bigger than ours. How would you do this? Where did you come up with this idea? God gave it to me and our church paid for it. Pastors have even said, can we meet the guy that built it for you so that he can come and do it? And I gave him the number, and I still don't see him with the truck. I'm not here to call him out. That's between them and the Lord. But I knew we had to come up with a truck, go out in the community. Why? Because I had to give the sacrifice of helping others. One last thing, one last thing. During COVID, this will bless some of you, we received our largest offering during COVID. Somebody sold a piece of property and gave it to the church, just like they did in Bible's times. It was over six figures. And you know what God told me to do? 
not receive a penny of it, but to give it to the work of Dallas and to the Riasco family. Juan Riasco has a large salary waiting for him when he starts his church. It's been in this bank ever since. And that's our elder saying amen. You know why? Because I didn't want to take at that time something that I felt wasn't for us to go and build a bigger building or go to get more, more things. I felt during that time who was suffering the most was the Riascos and starting that church in Dallas. We put Jose Riasco and Jared on salary for a year paid all of the church's bills, and then because Juan ended up coming back, we saved his shekels for when he said he wanted to do his church, which one day will be in Indiana. They're going to start with the Bible study out there in the near future. You want to know the biggest test? That was my biggest test. I want everyone to look up at me. What would you do if somebody put six figures in your hands right now? But because I was so used to giving away, and not thinking about it as mine. Of course, we make a salary. God has blessed us. I'm not saying I'm like poor up here, but I'm just saying when that came in, I was so used to it. doesn't belong to me. Where does it go, God? For over seven years, we didn't receive our full salary. My wife was willing to work. I was willing to work. Why? Because I was always used to giving it away. That's why this white boy goes to the west side. Can I hear an amen? That's what you doing out here, white boy? I literally had a prostitute say that to me. What you want? $15. I said, that's not what I want. You need Jesus because I want to see Jesus out here. I remember this as a sidestep going to the west side, having sidewalk Sunday school, turning winter, us not wanting to stop doing ministry out there, and then going to the black African-American churches asking if we could use their facilities to keep reaching the kids of their community. And they said, yes, as long as you pay to rent the facility. We rented their buildings so that on Saturdays we could bring in, quote, unquote, their kids. Yeah, the white guy did that. But you know what? It's not white, black. But you know what it was? It was the Jesus doing that. We proclaim the name of Jesus on the west side. You may not want them in your church. I may have to pay to get them in this church. But I'll do the sacrifice to get them here. Hallelujah. And so when those monies came into our hands, my wife will tell you it didn't take but 30 seconds. This is what we're doing with it. We're going to put it into a savings. It will go towards the, the Dallas and Riascos. That's it. Move on. Budget for that is cleared. Now let's go to our next budget. And don't you tell me that comes easy. It only comes easy when you've learned to give to others. Because you know after that I was thinking to myself, oh man, what did I do? <laughs> What did I, because you know how, how many know when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you feel good about stuff. But sometimes after you don't feel the Holy Ghost so much, you got to really think that through now, you know. Maybe you're in church, you get all excited in the Holy Ghost, you run up to that Bible study leader. I'm going to start coming early every single week and we're going to go evangelizing. And then like two weeks later, you're getting off work and it's like five o'clock, Bible study starts at six. You're like, dear God, what did I get myself into? Or maybe you feel the Holy Spirit say, come volunteer for King's Kids. So after a service like this, you run up to the King's Kids leader. Oh, I'm going to do King's Kids every week. And then you show up and work with one of those uh, vipers and diapers. And you're like, hold up. Hold up. What is going on here? I thought church kids were different. This viper and diaper is testing my sanctification right now. Woo. How many know sometimes you make commitments to the Lord that feel good, and then afterwards they come with a sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, give. Give your life away and watch what God will do. Volunteer in ministry. It's a sacrifice. This week, by God's grace, we'll go to the high schools, preach. It's a sacrifice, but I love it. 
we were out there the other day, and uh, we didn't really have enough workers, but there was a lot of kids out there. And so these kids came by, and they were like, you know, kind of like the kids running in the middle of the street, playing rough, and just being wild out there. Guess who I sent over to go preach to them? Bethany. My oldest, you know, quote, unquote, my favorite half kid. I see Hannah back there. Oh, my other kids. But I sent, I sent my best. Bethany, go preach to them. And how many know Bethany was kind of like, uh-uh. She was, as much as I love her, God bless her dear heart, she was like, uh-uh. They're, they're boys, and they, they look rough. And I'm like, no, go preach to them. They won't bite. I'm here. I'm watching. She started preaching to them. How many know that was a sacrifice? That's a sacrifice when we bring our children out. And we say, hey, go preach the gospel with us. I'm not putting them in danger uh, flippantly or naively, but I know I could keep her safe, put her in a church in the suburbs, not have her go to the urban area, right? I mean, let's think about how people think. You know, when I'm out there in the suburbs, I meet red, yellow, black, and white. They done with the city. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? How many people move out the city for a reason? And yet they see us running back into the city? Your church is going to the west side. Why doesn't your church go over here to the Elgin Market where, where, where they sell cheese curds, whatever I got over there from my dude. I bought some cheese stuff over there. Oh, yeah, we'll go there too, but we're also going to go right over here. We're going to go to Belmont and Clark as well. We're going to go over here to the Muslim community. How many know that was a sacrifice? How, how many know that? Come, let's be honest. When we stepped into that Muslim community, we didn't know what they were going to do. They could start fighting us right now like they're fighting the Israelites. They've been fighting Christians for a long time. Thank God none of them got in our face, but sometimes they do. Look at Speaker's Corner in London where these Muslims have taken over this area and the Christians go there. One of our dear sisters has been stabbed. Her Bible's been stolen, but yet she keeps going preaching. How many know that's a sacrifice to do good for others? Abandon altar workers, would you come please? Let's end this in an attitude of prayer. We'll stand up in a moment. But let's pray right now and check our hearts. Father, check us and see, Lord, if we've become stingy, greedy, spoiled king's kids. Lord, if we haven't been giving you the sacrifice of praise, check us right now. If you're in this place and you haven't been giving God the kind of praise like you should, would you ask him right now to forgive you of your sins? And if you're already a Christian, but you're really not living like one, ask him to forgive you. Come on. So if you're not a Christian, become one. If you've been a backslider, start right now and make it right. And say, Lord, I'm going to be grateful. And then lastly, right where you're at right now, what have you been holding back that you can give? Think about what the Lord's been putting in your heart. What are some of the things that he's been saying to you that may make you a little bit nervous sometimes? Maybe it's being a faithful tither. Maybe it's volunteering in the ministry. Maybe it's helping out others, not the kind that are always, Jimmy, I'll take all you will give me, but maybe it's been, been holding back from really helping some who need it, and you just don't want to do it. Come on, think about it right now and ask the Lord to convict you if there be anybody. It may take you a little extra way to go pick them up for church or at work to bring them an extra lunchbox or to help somebody in this church that maybe just needs a little bit more than, you know, just the ordinary Good Samaritan stuff we do. Maybe God's saying, help them with their rent. Help them pay their electric. Come take care of their children. Come on, everyone right now, think about the goods you're supposed to be doing and make sure your heart's right. Lord, we're going to give you the sacrifice of praise and we're going to give you the sacrifice of service to others. Lord, we don't have to be afraid 
to make these sacrifices because we know you always take care of us. You won't ask us to be irresponsible. You won't ask us, God, just to waste our resources, but you'll put the right people in our hearts like you did with my dad for that Cadillac to drive to Indianapolis. You'll put the right people there that we can sow into, the things that will count as a sacrifice. A few more moments, Jesus, would you use us for your glory? Be blessed to be a blessing that we won't so easily just say that's for somebody else, but we'll put in our work today and we'll praise you along the way. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can you stand up as you bless them? Hallelujah.